right, good morning, Intuit Records, uh, Record Store Day shoppers. Uh, I'm glad everybody came out this morning. Um, I have a list of, of Record Store Day titles that we've unfortunately sold out of uh, already this morning. So if you were looking for the following items, you won't find them. Uh, the 45 RPM pressing of the Francis Ha soundtrack. The Rough Guide to New York City Subway Farts. The Rough Guide to the Minneapolis-St. Paul Mariachi Scene. A picture disc of a picture disc of the Wild, the Innocent, and the E Street Shuffle. The picture on the picture disc features the album being held aloft by little Steven Van Zandt at a Zaxby's near Asbury Park. The 7-inch pressing of the theme to Aftermath, shaped like Colonel Potter's head. I'm not Frampton. even stopping this one because for once this bit is actually pretty funny. Frampton Comes Alive. The vinyl pressing of Disney and Mark Mothersbaugh's attempt to update Devo for early aughts tweens, Deve okay. 2.0. This one's not a bit, this one's real, and we are <sighs> sold out. Yeah, that sounds right. Dave, Dave Matthews Band live tracks with an X live at the Red Bull Shrimp and Stunt Fiesta 4 2012 6LP set with Etch Side Q. Why do I feel like that one's real too? Oh no. The solo album by the bassist from the Eagles who kind of looks like Skeletor and thing fish, but just the racist parts. I'm surprised that one sold so fast, and we got a ton of them. Hi, everybody. Uh, <laughs> welcome to I Think You'd Be Into It, the podcast about your problematic faves. I'm your host, Brandon Beck. I'm your host, Bess Grisato. I'm really impressed that you finally had a bit that worked. It only took us, what, like 87, 88 episodes? I don't remember which number this is. Yeah, I wrote that last night as I was, like, half asleep. I could tell it was written, <laughs> which is why I let it go. As long as it did. Yeah. You can't remember that many jokes. No, I, re I really, really can't. It would have been so bad if I'd, if I'd tried. That's why you're a sketch writer and not a sketch performer. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, joining us today to talk about the, the wide, wide world of wax, uh, you know him as one of the hosts of the new Nintendo podcast XL. Ladies and gentlemen, Brandon Hoff. Brandon, welcome to the program. Hello, everybody. Nice Thanks to for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. Congratulations on hearing the first bit of his that actually worked. I I'm not gonna lie, I was holding in, holding in some laughs, trying very hard not to laugh. Oh, good. Oh, you you could have. It would have given him something. I've never <laughs> laughed at one of his jokes. Nope, 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 nope. Have you now? Have you ever done the uh, let's get to the record store at seven in the morning for record store day thing? Yeah, I actually did that. Um, last august uh in the height of the the pandemic because there were some gorillas uh b-side records that i really wanted so yeah i got there at like six o'clock in the morning and there was already a line damn what record store was that um so there's this like local place here in wisconsin like all around the wisconsin area called uh exclusive company okay yeah and um I usually go there like at least once a week. They've become one of my favorite like stores since coming to the area. It's I, I've always found that like a, a good record store is the first thing I'll find anywhere I move to. Um, but before we we get into uh, uh, more records, let's talk about the things we're into this week, shall we? Um, I'll go ahead and go first. Um, this was actually the first time we've ever discussed this ahead of time, what what we were going to talk about for this, because... Uh, yeah, but it just reminded me that since you told me that you're doing it and I can't, now I still got to think of something. 
God damn it. That's true. Because I was going to say, they're... they're uh... Can I just be into these new photos of Ricky Martin? Because <laughs> let me tell you, man, they're pretty good. The who the, the wa now? These new photos of Ricky Martin. You've clearly never not seen this yet. I have. No. Don't worry about it. There's a no. photo shoot going around of uh, Ricky Martin, and he's looking good. That that hasn't made it to my corner of the internet yet, but I'm, <laughs> su- I'm sure it'll get there eventually. Still just on horny lady internet? <laughs> yeah, still just on horny lady, lady internet. It hasn't made it to horny dude internet yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we actually discussed it before the show, because I, I figured there was a 50-50 chance that we would both be into the same thing this week. Uh, the thing I'm into this week is a uh, new Pokemon Snap uh, for the Nintendo Switch. Um, Pokemon Snap was a spinoff of the original Pokemon games. Um, and it was one of the first Pokemon spinoffs that made it to the States. Um, it came out, I think, 22 years ago is the the math I've heard on it, which like is deeply upsetting. Um, but it's essentially, uh, like Pokemon the ride, like rather than running around and collecting Pokemon, you know, in a top down, like Zelda sort of thing and battling them, you play a photographer who rides around in essentially that little bubble car from Jurassic world. (laughs) And you take pictures of very good Pokedokies. And you yeah, collect them and you help do research. It's very good. Actually, when I was like 10, when it first came out, I thought it was boring as shit. But now as like a 32-year-old with anxiety, I'm like, this is pretty chill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's real chill. Um, the, th- the thing I liked about it originally and the thing that I still like about it now is that it is the closest thing to Pokemon the ride that we have. It's, it's these very like staged... Uh, you know, on rails trips through these various uh, biomes. The night ones are basically a dark ride, babe. How excited are you? Yeah, right. It rules. It rules. A dark ride that I could throw apples at. <laughs> Which, like, if I could throw apples at a dark ride, I would hurl them at Creepy Moon Eric Idol uh, every time I went through that thing. Yeah, that I would approve of. But sometimes you throw so many apples at them and I'm like, stop, you're harassing them. They're not going to do anything if you just keep throwing things at them. Yeah, but if I bonk them, they'll do like a little dance or, or Yeah, or, if like you bonk them thing. once, if you bonk them multiple times, they just keep being like, ow, stop throwing apples at me. Yeah, well, maybe that little flower guy wanted to be knocked over. Yeah, maybe <laughs> no, there's some Pokemon that are like really, like really into it. Oh, no, don't knock me over, please. <laughs> um... But yeah, the the this is and this is such an improvement over the original game in in so many different ways beyond like graphically and the fact that you can just have more pokemon uh in a game now than you could in the original. I think there were only like 40 or something pokemon in the original or like 70 or something out of however many there were at that point. I think it was just the first generation. Um but like this thing there, I, I've I've already uh, taken photos of fifty species in the first like two levels, um, and it's it really does a good job of uh, uh, giving personalities to a lot of these Pokemon as well, uh, much in the same way that uh, Detective Pikachu did, in that it was like you're really getting to see Pokemon not in a battle context and just kind of like 
chilling and being themselves and it's really charming and really fun and like the sheer number of times i've like gasped or been like sobble the first time i saw somebody uh is like more than i should admit publicly as a 34 year old man but here we are and and beth you're enjoying this one a lot more than the original right I don't know. Like I said, I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure how much my assessment is that, like, I'm not 10 years old anymore. Like, yeah, fair. <laughs> it's it's a much slower and more, like, patient game that's, like, not, like, just an action game. You're not battling people. Like, it's just about the collecting. So, like, I like I don't know. I can't tell you. I, I, I didn't spend a lot of time with the original Pokemon Snap because I thought it was boring. Fair. So, like, I don't even know how limited it was compared to this. I would assume a lot because it was 22 years ago. But, like, I just I don't have a great, like, comparison metric on it. That's fair. Whereas, like, I think this is definitely the Pokemon game uh, that I spent the most time on that wasn't, like, a mainline blue or gold or yellow or whatever. Um, well, no, probably, actually, I probably I put a shit ton of Pokemon Pinball. Actually, Pokemon Pinball rules. Yeah, it's such a good, that's a good one. Um, the card one, it actually really whips, too. Yep. Uh, that's one I played a lot as a as a young child in the 90s. Did you have you played uh either either of the Pokémon's Snap? Uh I like passively played uh the one for 64 and I thought it was like fine at the time it like wasn't necessarily for me, but I thought it was okay. Uh but hearing you talk about the new one has me actually really jazzed about it because initially like I've been pretty uh nonplussed about it, but sure. um it actually sounds like now I sound now I'm a little more hyped for it, so I might actually go get it Hell sooner yeah. rather than later. It's also it's a really good like not couch co-op because there's not really anything you can do two player, but like it's a really good like couples game or like small group game because it's really fun to just watch too. Um, because like like yeah, when you're playing and you're taking photos, you're like you know quote unquote playing but like it's just fun to sort of like watch people go through these worlds and you know kind of everybody gets the same reaction of like oh there's a there's a little friend oh that was a cool surprising thing you know it's it's i like i had a blast when we when we first downloaded it uh beth and i basically just like just swapped the controller back and forth every like couple three runs and it was absolutely delightful yes and unlike other co-op games although this isn't a co-op game um i didn't want to kill you at the end yeah although yeah you were like yeah this is a great couples game and i was like okay you say that but i was keeping it inside my head when i was like you're missing it you're not taking the right photos that's fair yeah, Brandon, to give you uh to give you some backup, Snipper Clippers nearly destroyed our marriage. Oh, I forgot about Snipper Clippers. I I could I could definitely see that game going one of two ways. Either like you're oh, really yeah. jazzed to play it or you're just gonna have a really bad time with your Well, we just solve puzzles very differently. Overcooked mm-hmm. also is another one we're yeah. not allowed to play together. Yeah, Overcooked. Uh when I found out there was a, an overcooked style game about moving, I was like no no yeah you're like that sounds like a bad idea yeah no 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 thank you i don't want to take my least favorite experience in the world and make it a video game now but yeah so uh uh, uh, pocket monsters uh snap is my thing this week all right 
who wants to go next? Oh, and also Todd comes back, and I like Todd. Oh, that's cool. Okay, I'm excited about that. Yeah. Do you play as Todd, or is like Todd? You don't, no. No, I didn't realize Todd was a recurring character. <laughs> yeah, you. Todd was who you played as in the first one. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, see, yeah. that's what I'm saying. But no, now he's a professional photographer. He's a professional photo Pokemon photographer, and he works with the Nature Center, and he has his own little mentor who's your rival named Phil, I think. <laughs> yeah, Phil. Phil. And um, Todd still has that same haircut that all animated dude characters in the late 90s had. Yes, uh, but I gotta say, when Todd first appeared on screen, something deep inside me was a little upset because he's the first hot Pokemon character I've ever seen. Uh, what about the hot professor from uh, the the last game? The Galar region? Didn't he have a hot professor? or was, or was It was that... a woman was the professor. It was an old woman was the professor. Oh, the Alolan guy then with the the like wind sandy wind swept hair and the cargo shorts. Oh yeah, and he was really he was really near mom. Oh yeah, he, and he like never wore a shirt, and he yeah. never wore a shirt. Yeah, but he was still <laughs> comical. This is the most like normal looking. It's just it's weird. It's weird because like it's kind of like the only teen they've made to a degree. Like oh, most of their characters yeah. are adults or kids, and this is like a young twenty something. Like very clearly. Oh yeah, it's just very weird. It was very weird for me. Also, kind of the anime, they they never really delved into the fact that like Ash and Misty were like twelve, but Brock was like nineteen. Yeah, <laughs> which is real weird. Yeah, I mean, it's weird that they were putting a child in charge of a gym anyway. Yeah, a, well, a child and also a child whose uh, parent is in a loving, consensual relationship with a Mister Mime. No, 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 no. Ash was not a gym leader. Misty was. Uh, right. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, no, but I meant, I meant Ash's mom. <laughs> I know you just wanted to make a joke about Ash's mom and Mr. Mime. I'm aware. <laughs> I'm not into that. Nope. Uh, but what are you into this week? Um, We watched the Mortal Kombat movie. <laughs> And I oh yeah we did I really enjoyed it look like I had a bunch I made some jokes about it online so of course I had some uh dudes that had to come text me about how well you know the 1995 one was better motherfucker what about me makes you think that I am the kind of person who would have seen the 1995 Mortal Kombat movie let alone had opinions about it I do not care who texted you name names I do not care about the 1995 Mortal Kombat movie. I wanted to see dumb fights with gratuitous video game violence, and I was given that. That was all I wanted. Yeah. It was stupid. The thing about... I talked about this when we talked about the Monster Hunter movie, is that, like, people... The thing is that video games are stupid. Video, yes. I love them. But video games are stupid, and the narrative, the way that we do narrative and the way that we do... Um, effects in video games are over the top and and gratuitous and stylistic and they're fine but when you adapt them to another medium it becomes obvious that video games are very stupid <laughs> and I love that about them and most most video game movies try to gloss that over and try to force it into a good real narrative or like a good story or a real movie looking at you Resident Evil yeah, and this one did not. This one accepted that Mortal Kombat is stupid, and when you adapt it into a movie, it's going to sound... It's Mortal Kombat is the epitome of, well, when you say it like that, it sounds stupid. Yes. 
And yes. it, but it was fine. I knew that going in. It was also really weird because we were watching it and all of a sudden, like from the depths of my brain erupted all of this lore. I remember from when I proofread the Mortal Kombat comics when they were coming out when I was at DC and it just like came out of me and I was like, oh, oh God, I know so much more about Mortal Kombat than I thought. <laughs> yeah, I was asking her lore questions. He was like, what's going on? And I'm like, so they're I was like, so he's kind of a god. It's kind of about fights between gods. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, like I don't understand why people are like, oh, it wasn't as good. And I'm like, it had weird, chunky blood and super gross deaths. And, like, the entire premise of it doesn't make sense. Basically, what they were mad about was that it was clearly a setup for, like, a series because they're like the whole thing was about how they were going to take place in the in in the tournament and then the tournament never happened okay so i'm sorry since when are you the fucking king of needing narrative closure in every movie jesus i mean i i get where the, they're the coming point from was, on that no, but it, it did feel weird to kind of get like cock blocked on the premise of mortal kombat from a mortal kombat movie but the whole, no, because, yes, the tournament is, like, the larger superstructure of it. But, like, the whole point was that they were trying to fight people before the tournament. You know what? Just go watch the fucking movie, y'all. It's stupid and it's fun. And I enjoyed it. It's There's, like, a lot of, a lot of like, very fake-looking blood, but it very, very, uh, you see some some blood and nastiness, so like, <laughs> you know, trigger warning on that. But Yeah, there's a, there's a couple kills in this thing that are, uh... Uh, pretty wild. Honestly, this is the entire movie's biggest sin is that Cole is boring. Yeah, and is that and, the main character is boring. And I, 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 I learned that because we spent the whole movie going, "Wait, who, who's Cole? Is he a, a character?" And we're just gonna like find out later. No, he was just invented for the movie and was boring. Yeah, he was the lead invented for the movie, and he's boring, and that's like its biggest sin. Yeah. That's why his that's why his armor makes no sense and isn't interesting because it's not based off of one of the original designs. Yeah. And then you've got the guy, the guy who plays Kano is clearly having the time of his life uh because he's the only one that was given jokes. <laughs> the guy who plays Kano is the hot nerd on House of Lies and I can't just not know that when I'm watching this movie. <laughs> it Kano really felt like uh, you know how, especially like in the eighties and nineties, whenever Robin Williams would do a movie, everyone would be like, "Oh yeah, we just like let the camera roll and just let him riff." Um, that's what it felt like every time Kano was on screen. Is that they were like, "Okay, here's the scene. Just like do whatever jokes you have about it," because <laughs> all of his lines, ha all of his lines have this energy of just like, oh, "I'm just kind of riffing. I'm just kind of throwing it out, whatever." Um, and it's wild. It's the Australian thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I enjoyed the Mortal Kombat movie. Yes, it's stupid. Yes, there's some kind of clunky lore that you have to get behind. Yes, the main character is boring. But I do think that, like, while it is blatantly a setup for more of them, I don't mind so much if it means I'm going to get more of them because they're very dumb. They're very dumb and very fun. But basically the point is that they had to set up like they could have sure they could have gone all the way to the tournament in this one and it would have been a one and done. But you wouldn't have gotten to have the ending where you get to set up the premise of, well, we've killed all the bad guys and the bad guy just kind of waves his hand and is like, death is just a portal. I'm going to bring him back to the other world and bring him back to life. Fuck you. Like, that's how you get it to be a video game. Nobody can die. <laughs> well, You know, uh, when we talked about the Monster Hunter movie. Uh, 
we, one of the things the thing that really struck me the most is that it, it captured the like overriding feeling of playing those games which was this feeling of like oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck as like a giant t-rex is lunging at you and you like swung but missed um that was one of the things that this movie kind of didn't really capture a series a series of fights that you don't actually understand the premise or why you're fighting you're just doing it because that's the point of the game really this didn't capture that i'm i mean fair but do you think anybody else knew the premise of mortal Kombat when they were playing it no but like i i I meant i meant more in in like not not so much like yes it, it it replicates the structure of just it's a series of fights but like i think there's just something about like being in the moment in a in like a Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter or any kind of fighting game fight that like the appeal of that is really hard to replicate in a narrative. Yes, of course, playing being the person throwing the punches is never going to be the same when you're watching it in a narrative. It's the difference between playing a game and watching a cutscene. Obviously, I'm saying that when you adapt the game, the video game Mortal Kombat truly spiritually accurately this is what you get and it's stupid and i loved it that's That's all that's totally fair because like to me mortal kombat is a game where you're a little man in a box who goes up a tower next to other little characters in boxes and then you fight and then your box goes up or down a level yeah that's that i don't care about that (laughs) (laughs) um well uh brandon what about uh what about you oh man um also, every time I've said Brannon, I've been very careful to say Brannon, but every time it's come out of my mouth, I've been like, shit, did I say Brandon? No, you definitely are saying uh, Brannon, and I do appreciate that. And I know I am, but I still think it every time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. Um, I'm going to talk about this uh, kind of book I've been reading, or book series, rather, called The Legend of Dritz. Uh, so some friends of mine, we, we started like a, like sci-fi fantasy book club. And the first book that we read was Lord of the Rings or rather like all of them, like in, in one go essentially. And as I've never read it and I, I mean, I loved it. It was good, but there are parts where it's like, man, Tolkien sure did that, huh? Um, and so while we just we just started Dune, but there was an, a little bit of an in-between period because I finished Lord of the Rings a little early, so I was looking for something else to read. Uh, a friend of mine suggest, suggested this uh, this book series called uh, The Legend of Dritz, and there's like 36 of them. I've heard of this. Uh, like, R.A. Salvatore uh, is... That's why. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, wait, I have heard of this. Why have <laughs> I heard of this? How we spell in Dritz? Yeah. Uh, D-R-I-Z-Z-T. Um, okay. So there are these like 25th like anniversary editions of like the first few books like collected. So I got the first one and coming from reading Lord of the Rings to this one, it's a super easy read, but also it's just like about this, uh, this drow elf who like, I mean, you find out his like beginnings in the underdark and like all this, like, you know, high fantasy bullshit that I, that I love personally, yeah, um, I'm very into high fantasy bullshit. Yeah, it's just like um, his family's like really evil, and the whole plot of like the first book essentially is like they're trying to like rise in the ranks to be more in favor of this like spider queen god Loth, and uh, Dritz isn't 
pretty much not having any of it because like he's actually a legit like good dude um but then it like shows like how powerful he gets and like he's just like this badass dude that can like fight with a sword and i don't know it's 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 all like the typical like you know like high fantasy tropes and if you've read anything by ari salvatore like you know what you're gonna get but i i'm just i'm really digging it and uh it's been a nice just like fun read like in between what is the what is the vibe of ra salvatore it's it's a name i've always a name i've always heard but i have no real sense of like i mean if you're like really into dungeons and dragons like that's that's the vibe like that's the vibe you're gonna get especially like with these kinds of books like you're gonna get that like high fantasy like you're looking at like descriptions from like a monster manual or a uh um you know, just like a player handbook or whatever, but it's not like, sure. it's not like overly descriptive. Whereas like Tolkien, like can get really lost in the sauce. It's like very much matter of fact, like this happens. Uh, and the book itself, like tends to like switch point of views uh, from character to character, like within the same chapter, which is fine. Like it, it oh, works. Nice. Uh, so like, it's, it's more of like, if you want to read high fantasy, but you don't necessarily want all the like intense detail, then then th- these are the books to reach for. Sure, you want to read high fantasy, but don't want to go full Game of Thrones mode. Yes, which I do enjoy. Don't don't get yeah. me wrong. Like uh, Wheel of Time, which is like fourteen books deep, one of my all time favorite uh, book series. Uh, but man, my my boy Robert Jordan can get really lost in that uh, sauce. <laughs> yeah. Was Wheel of Time one of those series where the original guy didn't get to finish it because he died? I can't remember. Yep. Uh, he actually died uh, in 2007, and but then they were able to get like Brandon Sanderson to fi- help finish right. the series. And uh, the thing is, is like Robert Jordan like left like a shit ton of notes because he like knew that he was dying. It was just sure. it wasn't so much a matter of if it was a matter of when. Sure. Uh, so like tech the ending is technically still written by him because it's like he wrote the ending because he knew how it was going to end, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, uh, I still think it, it turned out great. Gotcha. Yeah. That, that's, uh, that's, that's another series I've always sort of been intrigued by, but I just know I'm never going to get to <laughs> cause fantasy. Yeah. You're not a big fantasy guy. Well, you're not a big reader. No, uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm also just a slow reader and you're an incredibly fast reader. Yeah. That's what I mean. And it makes me self-conscious. Yeah. I can tell you're not a golfer. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, but speaking of uh, esoteric uh, forms of media that are uh, slowly disappearing because of uh, digital things, vinyl records. Ugh, that transition worked, but also was rough in another yeah. way. Mm-hmm. In another more actual way, it was rough <laughs> on my soul. No. Problem. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> difficult, difficult, lemon difficult. Um, yeah, so records. Uh, Brennan, why don't you tell us how you got into the vinyl game? Sure. Um, so it's 2009, and like I was like, I had just turned 20, and I was like floating around the idea of like collecting records. Um, and at that time I was just kind of looking for like a, any kind of record player, like from like a yard sale. Um, 
And then so my friends got me one, like they just happened to come upon one and it was like an old one from like the seventies. So like nothing to write home about, but it, it worked. Uh, so like from that point, I slowly started to accumulate records. Um, there I'm from Southern Indiana. So like at the time, the only place where you could go and get records was this place called uh, Goodwill Coconuts, which turned into uh, oh, and Goodwill. You could go to yeah, Goodwill. I was gonna say a lot of mine um, came from Goodwill. Goodwill or this place, like if you wanted newer stuff, you'd go to this place called Coconuts, which eventually turned into an Fye. Uh, but those would be the two places that I would go to. Um, and yeah, it was just like I had always been interested in it, but I before that time I didn't really like. I was like, well, I don't have a record player. Like, I can't just buy records. I can't just have albums, you know. Um, but once I got that record player, it kind of just changed. And, you know, over time, I have have slowly, ever so slowly accumulated records. But, like, what about you guys? Like, when did you guys start collecting? Um, I, I started buying records uh, when I was in, like, maybe freshman year of high school. Um... I and like I forget where I was, but I, I I was at some store that had a record section. It might have been it might have been uh, Manifest Discs, which is where like I spent most of my time in Charlotte when I wasn't at my house. Um, and I don't remember where I bought them, but I bought uh, a copy of the Green Album by Weezer, some Doors thing. I don't remember what, some like live thing. And oh dang, I can't I can't remember what the third one was now, but definitely Green Album by Weezer was uh was in the the little pile there. It was that time because <laughs> yeah, it was definitely it was that time, and and that was still like before the vinyl thing really popped off again. Because mm-hmm. this would have been uh two thousand two to two thousand three, um, and I didn't even have a turntable for a good little while. Um, until I, I one day wound up going to Best Buy and I bought literally the only turntable that they had and used a set of computer speakers oh, man. that I had bought that were like one of those ones where it was like five discrete speakers all attached to one little unit. Uh, and they each, they each kind of looked like, a. Like Dio from uh, Rise of Skywalker, a little <laughs> bit. If he had another little like bump on top of his head, um, and I used those as my speakers for probably a decade. <laughs> um, but then from there, now I just... look who's an audio snob. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but from from there, I just sort of realized like it it scratched a lot of my itches. It sort of scratched the collector itch. It scratched the like. It sounded good. I, I liked the like process of having to get up and flip a thing, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that felt organic. We we had a laser disc player, and that always felt like a fucking drag having to get up and flip that shit because that's a it's a movie. But like with a record, it felt like that's part of the experience, you know. Um, and then from there, my collection just ever. It, it it slowly grew over a few years, but it didn't really pop off until I finally had my own place um, in Brooklyn and then was just like, fucking game over. 
when you live in Brooklyn and have a little bit of disposable income and there are record stores fucking everywhere. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a bad scene, man. <laughs> For your wallet. That's how it was in Chicago too. Like a oh, lot I can of only just imagine. Yeah, just a lot of access to a lot of different uh stores that you could go to, and that's a big reason why my collection grew. <laughs> Anytime I would come into some money, I'd immediately yep. go to the record store. Yeah, we, uh, our last place in Brooklyn, there was a record store. Like I think there was at least two between uh our house and the subway station, and that's not including the like four vintage stores that also had like a record crate. Beth, what about you? Um, I had. I remember my dad had some records in our house growing up. Um, but my parents got divorced when I was pretty young, so I never really like was involved in them. But like my musical taste did all kind of come from my father. And um my first cassette tape, first CD, and first vinyl record were all Abbey Road. <laughs> um at different times. I thought your first record was uh Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. No, that is the first one I ever <laughs> Uh, whatever, I don't care. I'm, I'm in my 30s. I'll tell this story. I, 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 I was going to say, I, I almost introduced this by saying, hey, Beth, your your record collecting journey begins with some uh, deception and intrigue, but I no. didn't want to. <laughs> no, it, it was a Christmas present. I got a goodbye. I got um Abbey Road from my dad for Christmas. Oh, um, right. No, the first record I ever sought out and purchased for myself was Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Um. That's that's the distinction. That's the first one that uh, I like. Sure, sure, sure. Went I wanted and I went and found specifically, like rather than just getting out of a goodwill bin. Um because like I, I don't think I could tell you where a record store is in Connecticut near me. I got basically all my records from Goodwill. Um, that was yeah. like the only place that had them. Yeah, I had this little well, actually at first for a long time I had this huge record player um that came from my grandpa's attic and also had a eight track player and had like two external speakers, but like it didn't work very well. And then eventually I cut the wires off those speakers and I used them as end tables for years. Um, and I got this record players. It's also like a credenza. No, it wasn't that big. It was on my floor though. Um, and then I, I definitely still had those speakers when we met. Um, I'm sure. And then I had this little like restoration hardware, like, record player with like built-in radio that um my best friend Ashley had recently gotten and I was so into hers and so I managed to get one for myself and then I played them on that and then that was my record player basically until I met you and you were like mine is better (laughs) so (laughs) I got rid of mine yeah Yeah. um so like even now of our record collection we have like 700 records in this house I would say like a good 60 of them are mine yeah I just have like very different it's good because with our collecting, I collect very different things than you do. Yeah. Like any of the blues albums in this house are mine. <laughs> oh, totally. uh, there's like some of there's like some classic rock. I've got like some. I don't know. I, I I don't know. I just got weird things. When we first met, when you and I first met, the night I met you, I brought you back to my room to see my record player, um, and you thought that I wasn't picking you up, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It wasn't until. <laughs> five six years later that i realized that wasn't the case when you straight up told me and my high school ex-girlfriend was in the car uh with us when you told me no in fact you seduced me uh and she was like 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And you Because I brought you back to my dorm room to show you my Mitch Hedberg record. It was like <laughs> I, I specifically know. targeted you. I know. <laughs> I know. I was a dumbass. Anyway, that's my vinyl story. <laughs> now it's just a thing I live with 13 and a half years later. Yup. Uh, so, Brandon, what, what is it about the, like... Are, are are you one of those like, are you a, like a crate digger or are you a like just like buy stuff online type of guy? I or? definitely love like to go like to a physical location and love to just like flip through records. It's for me, it's like a, a I don't know. It's like it's it's very much like a me thing. Like I could never do it with anybody else unless like they also actively love to dig through records because I could do it all day. Um, it's just like, it's, it's kind of therapeutic for me uh, just to like kind of go to the record store and spend the time like flipping and looking at records or even just at like a Goodwill or like just like a vintage shop or whatever. And yeah, I, I love doing that. I will buy records online, like especially if it's like newer stuff. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I like to go digging when possible. What's your what's been your like favorite score or Ooh. like a moment of like oh I found it after uh after a you know a long search or something like that um in case you need a minute to think mine wound up being I looked for a copy of Frank Zappa's Hot Rats nice. for like years and just couldn't find one because it hadn't been reprinted yet that was sort of before they started reissuing uh, Zappa stuff on on like good thick vinyl, um, and Beth actually wound up finding it for me at Bleecker Street Records one night when we walked in like five minutes before they closed at like one in the morning. I don't know. I just went to ask. I had nothing else to do, so I went downstairs <laughs> and I looked through, and then I was like, "Is this the one that you're always talking about?" Yeah, and I Is was it like, "This one." I was like, "Oh my god, yes!" But yeah, that that was sort of my biggest like. I found it. Well, that and when I found the Francis Haas soundtrack, which I had been looking for 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 ages, which is what inspired that joke up top. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like a lot of stuff. Like, there was a period of time where I was really looking for a lot of like Godspeed You Black Emperor stuff, sure. and like you just couldn't find it. Uh, and then I I finally came upon my my favorite album by theirs is uh, Lift Your Skinny Fist like in Tennis to Heaven. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, my God, like I have to get that kind of similar situation. Like um, there's this like kind of like post punk like metal band I like called Have a Nice Life um, where I just happen to come upon like their all three of the records at once. And like, I had never seen them in a store and this was like a couple of years ago. And like, so they were reissues or whatever, but I, I was like really jazzed to see them all there and just immediately got them right away. Oh, hell yeah. Are, are you, now are you a, like, are you a, like a discography guy or are you just like, I'm just going to get the things that I, that I love because like, that that distinction can drive people to uh, the the depths of madness if you become a completionist. I think it de depends on the the band for me. So like, sure. Like I recently went to like kind of fill out the rest of my my Godspeed discography and ended up like I finally have all the records now, which is nice. Um, and kind of same with like 
like Radiohead, like I have all their records. Um, and like Tom York's like YOLO uh solo <laughs> Tom York's YOLO stuff, solo stuff. Tom uh, York's YOLO stuff. <laughs> yeah, and like Tom York's YOLO submarine. Yeah. But like Ooh. I would say like I it it depends on like if it's an artist I really love, then I will go out of my way to try to get all their stuff. Um, at the same time, like there are bands where I'm like, I like this album, but this other one doesn't quite do it for me. So I might not get this because I try to be, you know, cautious of the fact that I'm spending like at least depending on the money, like at least like 20 bucks on, on a record. So, uh, that does come into factor when I'm, I'm looking at albums. Yeah, that, that was a, that was a habit that took me uh, a while to curb the thing of like digging and then seeing something and being like, Oh my God. Um, but then not going from there to, I need to purchase this and have it in my home, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which like once I got that instinct curbed and then I realized just the joy was like, Oh, there it is. I've seen it. More like bird watching than like, <laughs> you know, needing to like own it. Uh, I suddenly had a lot more money. Yeah. Uh, imagine that. Um, right? like that definitely like on the flip side though, like have you ever seen a record, really thought hard about it, ended up not buying it, and then you go back and it's not there anymore? Um I've definitely had the thing of like you know, a limited run of something drops online and it's like, oh, do I need to buy this? Mm, I don't know. And then going back to the website and it's sold out. I don't know if I've ever had that happen in real life. I think because you sort of get the crate diggers instinct of like, if you find something good, you just get it out of the the bin as quickly as possible. Yeah. Because <laughs> there are no guarantees yeah, I definitely I feel like especially if I come upon something that I'm like instantly like, oh, I have to get this. I will get it. But there have been times where I'm like, "Ooh, do I do I want this? And then I'll go back later and it's gone. And then I'll like kind of kick myself for not getting it then. Yeah. And like I, I, I eventually realized there's there's nothing that if I absolutely desperately needed i couldn't just go on discogs and get you know very true like for for a good i'm a huge fish guy and for the first good little while um they didn't they didn't really have anything on vinyl like they had had two of their records had been printed on on vinyl in like the late 90s uh just in the way that like labels were still doing a little bit of vinyl then and like i bought them on the you know fish merch site for like 15 bucks each but like they weren't fish albums i really liked all that much they were just like oh i'll buy this sure in my kind of early days um those are each now worth like 400 dollars each oh wow because they they've been out of print for a million years but like they're not particularly good printings and those have now all all of their records have now been uh, or most of them at this point have been reprinted on like nice vinyl. They they essentially did it for record store day and then 
Black Friday, you know, they would just do one for a, a few years. But like one of them, I just I missed the the window of it. Um, oh, because they were only they were only selling it at their festival in uh, upstate New York, which as a Californian, I didn't go to. <laughs> um, yeah. For, as much as I love fish as a Californian, I don't really want to go to upstate New York. Um, but, uh, you know, I was real, really bummed out and then was realized like, you know what? I can just bite the bullet. And like, I think I paid like 150 bucks for it. Cause it was like li- very limited pressing, like, you know, swirly blue or something like that. Um, but that sort of really like broke any sense of like, if I really need it, I can just buy it. Yeah. You know? Which like I think part helped. of too is that like so like we do have to I think address the it's twenty twenty one why are we collecting records of it like oh yeah fair <laughs> I sp- yeah I suppose that is the sort of unspoken thing of all this too because it's just it's it's because I'm not like I don't bu- I can't tell you the last time I bought a record um, because actually I can it's when I bought the Josie and the Pussycats album um hell yeah because it slaps. And like at this point for us, it's kind of weird because we've kind of like put ourselves in this position where if we want our music to come out through the nice speakers, it's uh, pretty much record player or nothing. Um, And and I think that there is certainly something to be said for like audio quality or whatever. Like there's a reason that records have come back. There's a reason that, you know, the cassette tape and the CD are not the formats that, you know, lived on or came back again. It's vinyl. There's something nice and and really just like it, you know that like crunchy our roll experience of of a vinyl record in a way yeah you know like in the same way that like like we didn't think it was going to be vinyl we didn't think that was going to be that one that was it but like similar to books like it's just like no matter how much people keep saying like oh it's going away it's going away but there is a certain segment of people that just really love the like physical experience of a piece yeah. of media mm-hmm. movie which i think is too. cool but I'm not a big I'm not a big like collector though so like it I don't know I feel weird as as like talking about not I feel weird talking about vinyl but I'm in like that weird subset of vinyl where like I have vinyl I've been collecting it like I've had a collection of it for a long time but I wouldn't call it like a collection it's just like I don't know these are my records this is my music like I like I don't know you know I'm not a collector and I'm not an audiophile so like to me records are just like this is a nice platonic ideal of a format of music that I can listen to but I'm probably still going to listen to Spotify because it's easier. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, the other night, I, I was sitting on the couch, and, and I realized, like, shit, I haven't listened to a record in, like, months. Like, I legitimately couldn't remember the last time. And then I I did it, and I was like, oh, yeah, that rules. What the fuck have I been doing? Why have I been sleeping on this? Was the last record on there still me listening to Jackson Brown? Because that sounds probably right. Uh, I think it might. That sounds potentially correct. <laughs> I think it was that that uh, record of like sexy French girl songs. Oh, that too. Trey Chic, Chic or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Say Chic, French girl singers of the 1960s. Yeah, that's also yep. one of mine. Uh, well, the the French girls were replaced by the Elman Brothers Band. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I definitely, for convenience' sake like stick to like digital stuff but like i'm really fortunate that i can work from home so i will put on a record uh and i was just gonna say like you touched upon this earlier like the idea of like interacting 
like with the media like yeah that's why i think that's why i really like it a lot is because like it's this like this whole like it's kind of like a ritual you know like yeah i was gonna say it's the ritual of it it's the same reason i make decaf tea at 10 p.m yeah (laughs) you know it's it's not about the tea itself it's about the ritual of this is a thing i'm doing and i'm going to sit down and i'm going to listen to this record and then i'm in the middle i'm going to get up and i'm going to flip it and i'm going to listen deliberately for that yeah you know, it's not a record is to a degree not something you put on in the background because there is a level of interaction that occurs with it halfway through. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and yeah, and like I feel like as I get older, like unless I have time to myself to listen to music, I I find it a little harder to listen to music unless it's like a vinyl record because like I feel like I have to, like you said, bring my attention to it and like interact with it and um that's just another another aspect that I really love about like collecting and listening to to vinyl. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's 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 the same sort of experience of like going to a movie theater is like the ideal way to experience a film. Yeah. Like that is the ideal way to experience a piece of music. Um, you know. Are 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 you a uh, are you like a gearhead? Because uh, that's a whole nother like slippery slope like like beth has said routinely she's not an audiophile i i I am but like i i I didn't go fully into the like stereo system audiophile guy thing because like that that's just like that that's just so much money yeah that's so much (laughs) money and like that that you're getting so granular in the weeds i think so here's the thing because like um for for context, like I I went to school and I got a degree in in audio production. So, on on some level, I feel like you know I do look for um some some you know good what quality. You're listening for yeah, like I, I look like, for I some... can't watch a concert without thinking about the lights because like I know how to do lights. It doesn't mean that I could do them at that level, but there's always some level of knowledge I'm gonna have watching something that's different. Yeah, yeah. Um. And so, like, there's a certain point where, like, I I am looking for some pretty decent to good quality audio. But the thing is, is, like, I certainly, like, one, it costs a lot of money. If you want a really, really good system, you're going to be dropping thousands. And I I just don't have the money or the resources for that. Um, Nor would I, like, I'm not so lost in the sauce of, like, audio gear that I'm, like, oh, I need it needs to be perfect and I need it to be like this no like i have like some yamaha speakers i have a, a sony record player and i have uh you know like a preamp uh that also has bluetooth in it and it and it works like and it still sounds fine and that's the thing too is like you can have like a completely like just like immaculate uh a setup that just like sounds incredible and the record could still kind of sound like shit yeah the record uh, still sounds like shit so like I try not to get like so hung up about it because it's a physical piece of media that the, the audio can, the equipment you're playing it on can only do so much if the record's warped. Exactly. Yeah. If it's warped, if it's like just the way that it's printed and like the unfortunate thing is like, because vinyl is so in vogue and has been for like the last decade. And we only really have like, I don't know, like two, maybe three vinyl plants here in America. Yeah, uh, and so like lot. that, that affects uh quality sometimes not all the time but like that can be something that you have to think about too so but uh that was a really long-winded way to say that i i I do 
like good audio, but I'm not like super lost in the sauce of it. That's fair. <laughs> there was um, actually I'm about to drop two Jack White anecdotes. Uh, back say, to you back. You can't talk about printing your own records without dropping at least one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the thing about the uh, like audio file stuff, there was some Mark Marin episode where he was telling a story about like really wanting to get into hi-fi stuff, and he had like just introduced he had just interviewed Jack White, and Jack White showed him his like personal uh vinyl setup which is like of course all like macintosh stuff which uh not not apple macintosh mc uh which is uh audiophile code for expensive um and so he was at the you know hi-fi store and he asked he says to the guy you know i'm looking for i want to get this this is the thing jack white told me to get uh do you guys have that? And he was like, yeah, that costs $12,000. <laughs> he was like, oh, uh, never mind then. <laughs> um, but yeah, the other th- the other thing uh, is that, yeah, Jack White is one of the few people that does have like a pressing plant here in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, because like he's been doing uh, vinyl shit through Third Man for God knows how long now, including The Vault, which was this thing. Uh, basically like the Jack White Record Club, where for uh, 60 bucks a quarter, you would get like a really, like, it would never be printed anywhere else, like, cool, weird record, like, live White Stripes shows, or like, you know, uh, 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 Pearl Jam Live at Third Man, you know, a lot of stuff like that. Um, but it, once vinyl sort of popped off, Part of the reason he wound up going independent uh, and like taking and getting you know his own plant was that like because of how much vinyl had come back, now the big labels were using those pressing plants again, and they were basically just like flooding the system with like here's all of our bullshit for record store day, like that no one's going to buy, but that we're putting out because we need to put something out. Or yeah. like, you know, a, a, a newer album that we're pressing onto vinyl, you know, just because this is our big album for the year. And it wound up like really sort of throwing off the uh, ecosystem of vinyl production. So like smaller labels would take, you know, it would take m- months longer to get something printed than it usually would which uh is not great yeah and like um especially like with with covid the past year like oh yeah i found myself like uh putting in orders for records and then waiting like months which i mean fine you know like i it'll come when it comes but like i just like i remember i pre-ordered a record like back in august and it it didn't show up till december um which just kind of you know speaks to the the overall like current experience like if you're going to order something online like just you expect to wait a while so before we wrap up do you have do you have like a like a favorite record or oh, favorite couple man. yeah um i quite a few actually um it's it's tough though because i feel like in like so the way i have my records organized is like I have most of them on a shelf. And then I have like this old 
like kind of like it was a part of a record player, but I took the old record player off of it. And it's like this old little like cabinet where you could just like store records in. And that has like my, my favorite records in there. Um, And so like, I really like, uh, I guess one of the more recent ones is like Tom York's uh, latest solo album. Uh, It's this really nice, like uh, orange vinyl uh, that comes with like this, like 30 page book of like art and stuff. It's just this really, really cool, like deluxe setup. Um, And then like I have a, a copy of Wise Alopecia that's been signed that I, I, I really like. Um, I, I don't know. Just like um, some I just like just because I like having it. Like I there Stereo Lab did a couple reissues that I was finally able to get a hold of that. Um, the fact that I even have those and there's some of my favorite Stereo, Stereo Lab records are. I don't know. I don't know. I, just, I have a lot of favorites, but like those those are the ones that stick out to me like at the moment. That's but, awesome. Yeah, what about you? Um, I the ones I wind up playing the most are oddly like I wind up playing a lot of live stuff on vinyl. Like they're they a while back they started reissuing like Grateful Dead shows on vinyl and like they've released a couple of my favorites and it's it's really nice to just like put on, you know, once it's it's one song for one side yeah you know yeah <laughs> or like hey just this record front to back is just gonna be dark star <laughs> um but like i don't know i think there's something cool about hearing something live on vinyl like it makes it feel like i like an extra step more analog of like this was something that actually happened somewhere you know, that I'm listening to on a piece of wax, you know? Yeah. Um, but like probably something like that, like the, uh, sunshine daydream, uh, concert I've listened to a million times. Um, I have a, uh, I have a ween live album. It's, uh, it's ween live in Toronto. Oh, I want, I want that. I'm, I'm in the, I went through a huge ween phase, um, back in 2019. What teen boy didn't, uh oh well I, this was me as a grown adult i man. just wanted to make that joke sorry <laughs> i just uh, wanted to make that joke it's fine no um yeah i brandon went through another ween phase in 2019 too he listened yeah. to a lot of that japanese cowboy song oh uh, i yeah like i have my in georgia or a train running late <laughs> i have my my copy of 12 golden country greats sitting on my record player i was gonna play it yesterday but ended up not doing it but that that well which 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 version the the like the swirly purple one Uh, i have the the brown one Ooh, oh that might be the one i have actually i don't remember what color mine is that record's a masterpiece that's the best ween (laughs) album by a country mile uh my my personal favorite is is quebec i like that oh quebec is great too yeah uh quebec feels like the most personal ween album it is definitely the darkest one Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, but like, yeah, like you were saying about your 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 Ween period. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it just I love Ween, and I and I'm like kind of getting really back into him again, anyways. But yeah, that that live in Toronto record is is awesome. It's so good. It's and like Ween are are at their core a really like powerful live band, mm-hmm. but like. The particular, like the specific alchemy of a Ween show, is that it's like sixty to seventy three percent like 
really tight rock and roll and then the rest of it is just an absolute shit show. <laughs> yes. And it's it's it, the quality of a show is where the shit show parts land. Um, but for this particular tour, because it was their tour for uh, 12 Golden Country Greats, uh, which was their record that they just made in Nashville with like Nashville session guys. Um, they toured with a country band that they called the Shit Creek Boys, uh, where they took their their all they took basically just took their band and then added like a pedal steel player, another guitar player, and uh, I don't remember uh, like a fiddle player maybe. They added they added like three or four more guys, and in the liner notes, I think it's I don't know if it's Gene or Dean uh, says like. Playing with this band like felt like a 747, like just taking off behind you. And the design of the record is designed to look like it was like a kid's album from the 30s. Like it's got these really just like bright, happy portraits of the two of them and like big, colorful letters. It's it like the whole package top to bottom is is great. And for the longest time, that was the only way to get that particular live set which uh yeah. whips ass it's so good it has this really funny uh cover of that billy joel's uh piano man song yeah yeah it's got piano man on there it's got uh uh oh fuck what's uh dun 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 dun, 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 dun. oh um chariots of fire thank you yeah <laughs> it's got chariots of fire because uh turns out that's what the melody to Japanese Cowboy is. I love yep. it. It um, is. It's so good. And a really, really good. Uh, I, 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 I love Ween, but I, I don't love them for making me have to say this sentence. Really, really good version of Waving My Dick in the Wind. <laughs> um, it, because if you've seen old Jimmy Wilson dance, oh. <laughs> give that boy a try and you can have a chance to see old Jimmy Wilson dance. Um love Ween. Yeah, I I fucking love Ween so much. Have you ever ever seen them live? No, I want to, and I was going to this past year, but... uh, Oh, no. We all know what happened there. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. They're they're amazing live when they are on. And they're usually on. (laughs) Sometimes they're really not. But when they're on, they just rip. Yeah, there's this really good um, live in Chicago set that they did yeah. back in the early aughts uh, that I watched, and it was like, man, that's incredible. Yeah, that was that was when Jeter uh, was at his most like tweaked out looking. Oh yeah, yeah. But, like he <laughs> he looked like the Boognish at that. He point. yeah, he looks absolutely like insane, but it's it's so good. Beth, what about you? What, what do you have any favorite records? Uh. Of the collection I've got, I mean, the ones I've got are kind of like random ones. Like, I really like my French Girls of the 60s. Um, I've got a great, like, Best of Chess Blues compilation um, that I'm a big fan of. I like that one a lot. I got. I mean, I mostly just listen to Jackson Brown's Running on Empty over and over again because it's a fucking perfect album. Yeah, um, I, can, I, I can't kind of, I can't confirm, can't confirm. And on that, that is one. one that I have had since I got it at a thrift store when I was like fifteen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I have a Roberta Flack. I've had that long too. Got some Beatles records. Um, 
The Paul Simon records are technically yours, but I listen to them a lot. Yeah, um, and, and well, and they're technically mine, but I also like bought them sort of for you. I would say my favorite record that I've never actually listened to is right in the front of our record collection because we do them alphabetically mm. and it's an Aerosmith record. <laughs> I don't even I couldn't even tell you what record it is, but it's an Aerosmith record and when I was leaving New York, my old coworker Martin who I adore, weirdest man I've ever met, I loved him. He brought in this Aerosmith record. I don't even know where he got it and he like drew a cat on it. I don't even remember what the cat says. I'd have to go look and I'd have to go in the other room. Maybe I'll post a picture. Maybe I'll post a picture and link it in the liner notes. But like it it just sits in the front of our record player. I've in, in front of our record collection. I've never listened to it, but like you could just see the cat and his word balloon over the edge of like the front of the thing. And it just makes me really happy every time I see it. <laughs> but I still have this Aerosmith record that Martin just like randomly gave me as a going away present. That's that's such a good story. We have a uh, we have a couple like signed framed records up on the wall over. Yeah, our, but they're uh... Weezer. Well, that's what I was going to say. The the, <laughs> the the Weezer story is is one of my favorite weird like record collecting moments. Uh, what, oh what... yeah, my Weezer story is just about how I refused to ever go to a Weezer show again because the crowd was the worst group of people I've ever had to watch a show with in my entire life. Yeah. Oh man, that that's always the worst. Uh, Having to be at an Animal Collective show. Uh, that's that doesn't track. I mean, that fully tracks. Yeah, absolutely. That fully tracks. <laughs> my my worst crowd experience was the Flight of the Concords show at Town Hall of all kinds ah, of places. Damn, that's a shame. Um, they were great. The crowd was atrocious. Um, but yeah, th- this is just like one of my weirder like record collecting moments. That I think people will find a variation on of like, do I do I do I need to buy another copy of this? I'm at San Diego Comic-Con uh, a few years ago, and uh, I walk by the big Walking Dead booth, and I see that there are posters of the band members from Weezer as zombies. Uh, and I was like, um, what? And and so I, I asked the guy, like, uh, these are really cool, but, but why? And he was like, oh, uh, it's the 10th anniversary of uh, Walking Dead. Uh... There's going to be a big party, uh, and part of it is that Weezer is playing. Um, I was like, oh, cool. He was like, yeah, they're going to be uh, doing a signing at this uh, record store, like, five, six blocks that way in, like, an hour. I was like, oh, really? Okay. So, like, I, I bought a poster of, I think, like, Zombie Rivers Cuomo or something like that. Something I would probably never put up, but, like, that would just be cool to have a signed you know, Weezer thing somewhere. Uh, and so I go to this store and I'm, uh, I'm waiting outside and it's one of those record stores. that's like the size of a uh, men's room. Yeah. Like just tiny little hole in the wall place. Uh, just like run by like one dude probably. And I wound up being in line next to somebody whose friend was like the A and R person, uh, with Weezer that day. Um, and I, I knew going in that apparently the band was already in, like, kind of a mood. <laughs> um, but so I'm standing out there, and then the, the owner comes out, and he's like, all right, here's here's the deal. Here's kind of, like, the ground rules. Um, also, like, not going to be selling anything inside the store, but, like, here's all the Weezer I have if you want to, you know, buy anything to get that signed. And I was like, 
oh, sick. Uh, so I bought, I believe, my fourth copy of Pinkerton. <laughs> Uh, that like I, I cert just didn't need a fourth one. Yeah. But I was like, you know, if the option is get the get this, you know, poster that I'm whatever about or another copy of one of the most formative records for me to get signed that like is just going to go in a frame and that's it. You know, I was like, well, I'm clear. I, I, I know the answer, <laughs> you know, and so I, I get in there and uh they, it was it was the most Weezer experience possible. Like I put the, like they they were all just like looking kind of glum, and you know I put the record down in front of Rivers. And I'm like, oh hey, n- nice to meet you. Uh, love the album. And he just sort of was like, eh, eh. and they all basically were just like, eh, eh. except for the bass player. He was uh oh no he wasn't there. Uh I think it, I think it was the drummer was like w- making eye contact with people at least. That's good. Um, but that I think might be my my weirdest like suddenly I'm in record collector mode stories. Oh yeah, I like recently bought a uh, so Gorillas came out with an album last year, and I was just gonna get like their normal uh, their normal uh, album. The I ordered it online, and uh, <laughs> doing it again doesn't make it better. Uh, <laughs> Here come the rappers, y'all. Um, he does say that every time that part of the song happens, though. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right before the uh, when right before De La Soul comes in on that song, uh, uh, in the little break, you can go. Here come the rappers, y'all. I love it. And uh, then they come in, and it's it's it makes me giggle every time. <laughs> uh, but then they so they had like a deluxe edition of it, and I ended up buying that. Uh, and then now I have two copies of this album, which fine, like it it happens. But which one is that? Is that D side? Uh, no, it was song. It was the Song Machine one. Um, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, their new one. Uh, no, I got D sides and G sides on Record Store Day. Nice. I'm sure we have duplicates. I'm sure we need to go through stuff now that there is a new Amoeba Records open and see what we can go sell. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's that's definitely been on my my to do list. Um, I, well, yeah, I think the last thing to sort of cover is Record Store Day. Yeah. Um, which which we've of... mentioned in passing a couple times, but for those who are not familiar with Record Store Day, Brandon, can you tell us what it is? Yeah, Record Store Day, it started off, the idea was we're going to put out some like limited run kind of exclusive things that we're, you're only going to be able to get at like truly indie record stores oh yeah it was about supporting Um, it was like independent bookstore day exactly um you know the idea was to drive a lot of business to indie record stores in like a very concentrated specific way um and for a little while it it sort of was that but then Mm -hmm. it just kept getting bigger and slightly bigger and slightly bigger every year and then there started being more like you know, now suddenly Sony was dropping a lot of big things or like, you know, all these like weird soundtrack releases or things where you're like, who is who is this for? <laughs> you know, um, but it, it 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 still has the vibe of like, oh, this is record collector Christmas. Like this is the thing where you get up early, you go to the store and then you, you know, just like chill in line with people, you know, cold and drinking coffee while you're waiting to you know 
go into a record store and scramble for a copy of, you know, some obscure thing that, you know, so, like a copy of John Linnell's state songs, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely designed for collectors and it was originally mm-hmm. much like everything it was kind of overtaken by big capitalism as opposed to small <laughs> capitalism but it, it is to a degree still a cool thing that does drive more business than usual to independent record stores on record store day yeah. the real problem is that and i guess this is a logistics problem that happens I, i've dealt with this to a degree not with vinyl but logistically with comics for free comic book day it's that whenever you have a thing like this it's it's very difficult because you can't take pre-orders to judge how many to print of some of these exclusive things and then the way they get split up has to be kind of based on guessing and crapshooting so like you may be looking for one particular we'll just use brandon as an example uh fish album and let's say that there were Which only one? Which one? I, i'm not doing this let's say there were only five thousand of them pressed for record store day they usually do and the record store that brandon is going to doesn't normally sell a lot of fish albums so they maybe only got one of those five thousand and brandon wasn't first in line and it turns out there was a guy three in front of him who's the other fish fan in the area that's actually so, like, it's literally what happened to me the first time i did record store day <laughs> Okay, but so it's 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 just it's a difficult it's a cool fun thing, but there is also this kind of like anxiety into a degree crapshoot of it. It's like okay, well you could get up and stand in line at six in the morning, and they don't get any of the ones you wanted because they're a really tiny store that doesn't do a high volume. So the way that the organization that sends these out split them up, they only got the things that were like really big releases. So you kind of so then you know this is what Discogs is for. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I certainly have been in that situation. Like even last year I was, I was looking for this uh, reissue of a Charlie XCX EP Vroom Vroom. Uh, And I was like, that was like, that was the one thing I wanted and no record store in my area just got it. And uh, which, I mean, it is what it is. It's on Discogs. I could get it if I want it, but like, yeah, I've just come into situations and, and I do agree. It started out as a really good, like, intentional thing of like funding these record stores but like i yeah it's it, it, it much it, like anything <laughs> it becomes a ground for like scalpers dudes that line up buy up a bunch of records and then just go flip them on discogs or ebay yep that and like big capitalism big labels getting like really into it now which i mean fine because it it's it's kind of like a double-edged sword because like you get yeah. more stuff out of it but then also it's like because these huge labels are getting into it it really pushes a lot of independent stuff like out of the way and like people who are like smaller who maybe were trying to get stuff in aren't going to be able to now because it's like the larger labels are taking over the manufacturing plants and you know it's i still i still love it though i um i i'm i'm still into it and like there's always at least one thing that i'm i'm looking forward to oh totally it's always cool and it's there's always like a cool dive and there's always something I find every time that mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting to yeah. find. It is it's just frustrating that capitalism ruins everything, but you know that could be said <laughs> of anything, not just vinyl mm-hmm. collecting. Absolutely. <laughs> and like it, it's it, the limited nature of it has also like led me to finding cool new record stores. Like the 
l- l- like when it, when I said that, like that was literally what happened to me the first time I did uh, record store day. Uh, that's exactly what it was. Fish were putting out a seven inch that was just like two live sound checks, which is the most like record store day thing they could have possibly done. And it was oh, like yeah. their first real vinyl thing. And so I was like, well, shit, the only way I'm going to be able to get this thing is by doing whatever record store day is. Uh, and so I rolled up to this like little record store in Brooklyn that I'd never heard of uh, to try to get this fish thing. Uh, and the guy inside comes out and is basically just sort of like telling us like, hey, here's here's what's going on. Um, and the, one, and there were three people in front of me in line. And one guy goes, hey, uh, did you get any copies of the fish thing? He's like, yeah, we've got three. Uh, and turns out all three of the people in front of me were going to get the fish thing. So I was, I was like, shit, I was fucked. Well, fuck. Um, but then I found a, I just Googled record stores nearby and found, oh, there's another record store like six blocks from here. So I went there, and that wound up be that wound up becoming my record store for the rest of the time we lived in Brooklyn. Nice. Um, though I, I I will say they they went out of their way to make the initial like we're open that day the most chaotic fucking thing, uh, because they had all of their record store day stuff in like one bin that was one of those like you can kind of go all the way around it. Like it was in like the middle of of the floor to make some sort of discrete aisles. Um, they also had like a punk rock band playing right behind <laughs> it. So as they as they opened the doors, everyone just kind of like swarmed in. Uh, there was also and it was uh, incredibly stressful. But I also got the one copy of the fish thing that they got. And then I think for the next several years, I was the guy that would buy a fish thing uh, every year. They knew. Oh, yeah, they absolutely knew. So, Brennan, are there any other uh, topics in uh, record bullshit that uh, you'd like to discuss before we wrap up? Um, Just real quick, there's this book. It's called Vinyl Junkies. Uh, and, like, if you want to, like, kind of get more... I guess in that mindset, if you're not really into records, like it's a good read. It's not a long, it's not a super long book um, that I, I read and I really liked and just like further, you know, fan the flames of like why I love records so much and like just the act of digging and stuff. It talks, it goes in, into like all that stuff. And I don't know. I just like, it's a really great way to you know interact with music in general especially if you find yourself having a harder time like just sitting down listening to an album um this is a really good way to do it and that's just that's just how i feel i just i love records i love listening to them i love the way they look especially like really cool like pressings i don't like picture discs i'll I'll go ahead and get that out there not a fan of picture discs that's fair Um, i don't think they sound as good no, no, they, they do don't. not. Um, and I, I only have one. And the only reason I have it's because it's by an artist that I really like. And I wanted it's one of those completionist things uh, that I wanted to get out of it. But uh, yeah, no, I, I just I love records and they rule. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you on <laughs> on uh, picture discs like they're a fun idea. But like 
It's like if there's like a cool one, I'll pick it up. But like, yeah, they 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 sound yeah. like garbage. Yeah, no, they're 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 more to like look at, and not so much to actually play. Oh yeah. Well, uh, Brandon, thank you for joining us today. Uh, to get your uh, Rob Gordon on. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'm happy. I was happy to to join you guys. This is the first like podcast I've done in like. God knows how long. Oh, hell yeah. This is the first podcast I've done in two days. <laughs> well, that's just, yeah. I mean, I, but when's the last time we did one that wasn't ours? I mean, I guess you did James's not that long ago. Oh, yeah. I'm like a, I'm like a, like a full-time I, I, like podcaster, baby. Hell yeah. Okay. I'm out there. I'm out there. I'm living it's the It's a life. really strong, <laughs> strong alternate phrase for unemployed. Uh, yup. Hey, hire me, please. Someone, anyone. Uh so if people wanted to find more uh, Brandon Hoff uh, content on their internet, how could they do that? So uh, I'm going to plug a few things, two things to be specific, if, if y'all don't mind. So most of it. my creative stuff can all be just found on my like public Twitter, which is BRN Hoff. Uh, it, I mean, it has links to like, uh, I do a radio show, although that's on hiatus and uh, like my podcast stuff, like it's all there. You can find it there. The other thing that's like vinyl specific is I do run a uh, a vinyl Instagram called this this vinyl weighs a ton and it's um like each just flaming lips records uh, no uh but it's um each word has an underscore under it and it's just like it's just it's totally just for me I'm just like uh showcasing my collection of like records and stuff and just like taking pictures and stuff and. I don't know. It's it's bullshit, but I I like doing it. Um, it it's another way to kind of interact with the the media. Uh, so if you so if you want to follow it, that's fine. But yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Nice. There's some there's three weens right there, right on top of it. Yeah, I I was I was in a big ween mood the other the other day. Uh, well, I mean, we all got to push the little daisies from uh from that's right. time. Otherwise, Mister Richard Smoker. <laughs> Dumb. On the poop ship destroyer. Stupid concept for a band. I love I love them so much, even if they are terrible. Oh yeah, my 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 favorite thing, and it's it's something that I I I I think about a lot is how often in their live sets they they'll just be like, all right, this next one's by Ween, <laughs> uh, or like that was Mr. Richard Smoker by Ween. Stupid. Uh, so like I just will often think. At the end of a song, uh, <laughs> I do love a band that nobody thinks is funnier than themselves. I guess that's how I'm married to you. Yeah, right. Uh, and that could be said about all my favorite bands too. Um, and you, you as find... a person. <laughs> <laughs> that was my point. Just making sure in case you missed it. Yeah. Oh no no no! I I was with you. I was just trying to. Uh... <laughs> Uh, just keep on going. Uh, yeah, if you wanted to find more of uh, my stuff, you could find me uh, at Hell Yes Brandon by Ween on all of the uh, hell sites on the internet uh, that we live our lives on these days because we're not fully back in society yet. Uh, yeah, Inkblots Around, SoundCloud, YouTube, etc., etc., etc. I hope to have some some new uh, fresh hits out soon. Bethel, by you. I don't really have anything to plug, but uh, you can follow me everywhere online at at bscores with an underscore at the end. But the easiest way to follow me is to follow the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at, at IntuitPod, and you can follow us on Instagram following the hashtag IntuitPod. We're also on Facebook if you get any mileage out of that. Um, 
I am not sure if we're doing the Twitch show next week because I will be in Florida and we haven't decided whether or not yet that uh, I'm if we're going to book somebody and I'm going to bring all my stuff and do it from my mom's house. So, you know, stay tuned. Find out next week. Um, oh, oh, next week showtime. I was like, wait, ne- next week are you talking about? It's the first week of May. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So next and week, realized, for, oh, right. as of listening to this, people listening to this when it comes out, next Thursday is supposed to be our Twitch show. <laughs> and I don't know if we're doing one yet because I'm going to be in Florida. I leave for Florida tomorrow. So <laughs> uh, we'll figure that out. But, uh, you know, stay tuned. Check out our Twitter and, uh, and listen to the top of the show next week. And uh, you can find out what we've decided to do. Uh, thank you, t- as always, to Kaylin West and Tiny Stills for the use of our theme song. Starting over is a lot like giving up off the album Falling is Like Flying. And thank you to Indiesaurus for having us on the network. They've got a bunch of great shows, including the new Nintendo podcast XL and many other fine programs, um, as well as some video. Uh, they have a Twitch channel, which uh, you can also watch our Twitch show on their Twitch channel if we do it. Um, check them out online at Indiesaurus.com. That's I-N-D-I-E, Saurus.com. There's also a Discord that you can join if you want to get in and be a part of the Indiesaurus family. Um, I mostly just post cursed shit in there. Sometimes there's very good photos of our cats, though. So, you know, it's a good time had by all. That is all I have got. That's it for me. God, now, <laughs> now, now I'm just, like, trying not to dwell on the fact that, like, when I was a teenager, I, I really identified with the dude from high fidelity and like didn't realize that he was the villain of the piece there's there's a lot of first off first off (laughs) you could say that about a lot of nick hornberry a lot of nick hornberry jesus (laughs) i keep wanting i keep wanting to say hornberry like the wild thornberry You can say that about a lot of Nick Hornby protagonists. Yes, I like I like vinyl. Yeah. You could say that about a lot of Nick Hornby protagonists, but I'm not sure that Nick Hornby knows that they're the villain of the piece either, is what I was going to say. I think he does I sometimes think he does now. He's certainly more self aware than Chuck Polinick, who can suck my dick. Oh, um Lord. sorry, Mom. Um anyway. <laughs> I, I I did I did have the the later in life the odd experience of my freshman year of college, I was like the dude thinking, "Oh, I like I am the guy from High Fidelity." Uh-oh. Uh oh, you know. But then realizing uh, years later, someone else who I went to school with that year went on to literally be the guy from High Fidelity because Zoe Kravitz went to college with us and started High Fidelity, <laughs> uh, which was like just an odd like, uh, yeah, the world's the world's funny. Yeah, uh, but, sort of um, but anyway, if anybody tells you their favorite book is Fight Club, don't date them. That's all I can say. No, Survivor's better, yeah. which is why you dated me. Brandon, thank you for uh, for joining us yeah, today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Um, so yeah, all that being said, uh, podcast over. Yes, Shit is hemp's time, crap as a sit. Shit is hemp's time, crap as a sit. Yes, Lee. All's are off, girl, feeder it in the Zoladin' Oak. He's in the East, not a street, but in Stout. Shit is hemp's time, crap as a sit.
should just have some time to pipe as I sit. Yes, lad. Arms are all girl feeder and then his latin note. He's neat, not a street wind stop. Should just have some time to pipe as I sit. Should just have some time to pipe as I sit. <laughs> 